0: Welcome back to the Sports Lawyers Association podcast. Whether you work for a team on the field, the ice, a court, track, or a diamond, our association gives you an opportunity to grow. You're listening to episode number seven, COVID-19, the current and potential impact to the world of sports. With your host, Lester Munson, a member of the Sports Lawyers Association. Alongside Lester is Greg Clifton, another member of the Sports Lawyers Association. Sit back and enjoy this episode of the Sports Lawyers Association podcast. Welcome to the podcast of the Sports Lawyers Association. I am your host. My name is Lester Munson. Our guest today is Greg Clifton, one of the great sports lawyers in the United States. Greg has worked on both sides of the issues in the sports industry. He has represented players. He has represented management. He is the only lawyer anywhere who has won a salary arbitration in Major League Baseball, once for the players and once for the team. He has won on both sides. He is the managing partner of the Phoenix office of the Jackson Lewis firm. He also in his past worked as an agent. He worked with the legendary Bob Wolf. And even before that, he played a little basketball for Harvard. For those of you who didn't know, yes, Harvard does have a basketball team and every now and then they're pretty good. Our topic today is obviously the pandemic, the cancellations, the difficulties that the pandemic has provided to the sports industry. This will be the first of a series of three podcasts on these issues. And today, we, Greg and I will be discussing the situations involving the four major professional sports and uh, the ramifications of the pandemic for the NCAA. Uh, Greg, let's start with a look at what is Unthinkable! The possible cancellation of the major league baseball season—is that possible? Or how can they salvage part of the season? What is your best guess on what's going to happen there?
1: Well, thank you, Lester, and uh, I appreciate your kind comments. But the one thing I will say, when I played a little bit of basketball at Harvard, it was long before that the team is as good as they are nowadays. So I appreciate that mention. Uh, but as you said. We are really in unprecedented times as a nation, but especially in the sports world. Uh, and, And part of that is we're just trying to adjust really to a new normal. But the problem at this point is we really don't know what the new normal is yet. And so you've seen the professional leagues in particular. You just mentioned Major League Baseball. They are in a very difficult position because they had essentially started their season with spring training in both Florida and Arizona. And teams had reported and begun their preparation For the 2020 season, and unfortunately, they were they had to have an immediate stop based upon uh, the spreading of the pandemic. And while we were waiting, and I think everyone, when I said about not knowing the new normal, I think everyone was waiting and hoping uh, that this would go away like a common cold or a common flu and be behind us in two or three weeks. And what we're finding out as we watch the unprecedented misfortune in New York, and Florida, and California, and other places around the country. What we're finding is that there is no direct knowledge as to when this is going to cease and when we're going to have this behind us. So I think what you're looking at in Major League Baseball with you know, Commissioner Manford and the union leader, Tony Clark, having had ongoing meetings for what I've been told for at least a week or two, trying to come up with some solution. What they did do was reach, again, another use of the word unprecedented, but an unprecedented collective bargaining adjustment in the middle of a collective bargaining agreement where based upon the 2020 season, both the union and the the Major League Baseball owners tried to reach some kind of semblance of order as to what will happen if, God forbid, the season is canceled in its entirety or whether or not the season can be prorated and we might have 140, 120, or 100 games. So the agreement that was reached, which is really amazing, Lester, is it gives the commissioner quite a bit of power to make some adjustments on a going-forward basis. And those adjustments include potential neutral site games uh, where the pandemic might have passed and those cities are, are, are cleared for resumption of play, where teams might literally go to those cities and have neutral site games. There's also been to some discussion about the teams remaining in Florida and Arizona and working in smaller facilities. But unfortunately, I think from an Arizona perspective where I live, the pandemic is just going to really start to reach some levels here over the next few weeks. So I don't think it's going to be behind us quite as quickly. Um, The interesting aspect of the agreement that was reached is the owners have uh, basically at this point committed $170 million in payroll for the first two months of the season. And that payroll breakdown is essentially based upon years of of service and major league contracts. So your star players, when you think of the Mike Trouts and other players like that, are going to be getting $150,000 a month for the first two months. And then the players below that who might be on what we call split contracts or other other assorted arrangements with major league teams are going to have a different distribution of that money. But beyond that, if the season is canceled for some reason, God forbid, in its entirety, that would be the entire obligation that the major league owners would have for the 2020 season. The other major concession that was given – was that the players will get full years of service. So major league players, some of whom are anxiously awaiting a chance to go to arbitration, are anxiously awaiting an opportunity to become free agents, will have that opportunity in 2021 as if the 2020 season had been played. And the other wild card here is from a financial point of view, in addition to that stipend for the first two months, if for some reason they're able to let just, for simplistic, for simplistic purposes, say that they're able to have an 81 game schedule then the players will receive 50% of their salary for the 2020 season, but receive a full season of credit. So again, they're a little bit of a role model because major league baseball with its union and with the major league management side through the commissioner's office have sort of gotten in front of this a little bit and reached an agreement. Now the one wild card here, which is really interesting, Lester, I want to mention, I'd be remiss if I didn't, is the possible ramifications for the amateur player draft. Uh, you know, people have heard about amateur players being drafted typically in June and high draft pick signing for some cases, multiple millions of dollars as a signing bonus. Well, part of that agreement is going to allow Major League Baseball to delay the draft until July if they want to. But on top of that, there's a possibility, and Commissioner Manfred will have the authority to do this, to reduce the draft down to as few as only five rounds. So what's interesting is if a player is is not selected in those first five rounds, that player will be limited to a maximum signing bonus of only $20,000. So that's a drastic impact uh, to potential drafted players and a considerable cost saving to the Major League Baseball teams, uh, you know, who, again, it's certainly a speculative area, betting on, you know, young draft picks become Major League players and investing millions of dollars. So that is a really, really huge change to this. And, of course, the other interesting aspect of this is that those minor league players are not unionized. So unlike the major league players, they did not have a direct voice at the table in terms of the negotiations with the commissioner's office of major league baseball. So again, those are just a a brief summary of the changes that we're going to be seeing or are going to be, have been enacted now with regard to major league baseball. Uh, As the
0: commissioner, Rob Manfred and Tony Clark, the union leader talked this over, Greg did they reach any conclusions on when the nation reaches the point of no return? Is there a point, is there a minimum number of games that they must have to start the season? Is there a point when they will say, okay, we've gone far enough, we're going to have to cancel? Is there any kind of common ground that has developed on those issues?
1: Not as of yet, Lester, and that's a great question because I know everyone is curious and wondering about that, and I think everyone is sort of sitting here with bated breath and their fingers crossed that it'll be sooner than later. Uh, but I do think the agreement that was reached between the two sides uh, essentially is predicting any number of different variables that could occur. Um, so again, one of the things that was also placed in that agreement was this, I guess, a, a clearinghouse where there has to be, travel has to be permitted and uh, a lifting of, of, of kind of stay-in-residence type executive orders and things of that magnitude for things to resume. So again, I don't think we're close to a resumption of play yet, unfortunately, because as we're seeing this pandemic, as it appears unfortunately to be going more east to west, even though California was impacted as was Washington, but the central part of the United States, and I know Arizona where I live, we are seeing the increase in now in positive tests and the impact of the, of the COVID-19 virus. So I think it's a little premature yet. I know there's been rumors Uh, as late as the all-star game and maybe starting that. And as you know, from your experience, we do have some experience with shortened seasons and delayed seasons in Major League Baseball, but those shortened seasons and delayed seasons are typically caused as a result of labor strife. So this is a unique situation where we don't have any labor strife. We have both sides anxious to play, but we have, as I said, an unprecedented issue going on, which is the COVID-19 virus. And everyone is sort of optimistic and hopeful that we can get this behind us. Because I think sports, as we've always seen in the United States, has a great healing mechanism, as we saw after 9-11, uh, the ability to bring the country together. And unfortunately, right now, we're unable to do that except to watch uh, you know, wonderful replays of historic games in all sports. In a way, it's quite a positive development that Manfred and Clark
0: have found a way to make these agreements. When you look at the history Of labor in Major League Baseball. It is not a history of positive uh, agreements. There have been uh, dramatic work stoppages. We all remember, or at least you and I are old enough to remember the loss of the World Series in 1994 and other developments. So it's hard to believe I'm saying this, but uh, the commissioner and the union have actually done a good job
1: here, haven't they? Well, you know, it's interesting. I think the most important thing about the agreement is the fact that they've done it before, as we would say, someone had a gun at their head where the pandemic is behind us and they're trying to figure out what to do. And of course, you know, one of the one of the wild cards that Commissioner Manfred had at his disposal, as most commissioners do, and if my memory is correct, I believe it's uh, section 11 or paragraph 11 in the agreement, which is essentially a force majeure clause, uh, which would allow the commissioner, based upon a pandemic like this, to essentially cancel the season and cancel all well, uh, payments to the players, essentially eradicating uh, the, the agreements that are in place between the teams and the players for the period of the duration of the pandemic. So I don't think he wanted to do that. And I really respect him and Major League Baseball for not wanting to exercise that potential collectively bargained right uh, that's in the standard player contracts. So I think it's wonderful. I agree with you that they've been able to address this issue up front And as this pandemic passes, we're going to be in a position where we'll be able to talk and get excited about the resumption of baseball and whether there's a two week or a four week or whatever adjustments are going to be made uh, to the preseason aspect of this, even though that might be in June. Um, I think it's exciting that we're going to be able to talk about baseball again once the pandemic is behind us and not at that point have to worry about the sides trying to reach some type of an agreement to resume play in 2020.
0: Now looking now uh Greg at the NBA and the NHL. Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA was the first to make a dramatic decision here when he stopped uh the NBA season after only one player was diagnosed with the COVID-19. Uh Bettman, the commissioner of the NHL followed suit. Where are they with the force majeure or some other contractual provision? come into play at some point? Will there be playoffs? Uh, The seasons basically are about to end. We should be looking at playoffs. And here we are with absolutely nothing happening.
1: You know, for both sports, it's interesting because the winter sports, unlike the NFL, whose season is still several months away from beginning, and Major League Baseball, as we just discussed, which has addressed this issue, the NBA and the NHL are both interesting uh, aspects as to the interpretation of this. The NHL came out fairly early after the cancellation of the remainder of their season uh, by announcing that the players would be paid through the end of the season, which I believe at the time was only about three checks. So that has continued on and where that's going to take us from a salary cap perspective and some of the escrow issues we have in hockey. I think that's yet to be determined. And also with regard to a potential resumption in the season, When it comes to the NHL, there's been a number of rumors and there really has anything been nothing that's been formally uh, acknowledged, but we have rumors on both sides, everything from a a kind of an NCAA type tournament format to get all as many teams as possible uh, in a a tournament environment and essentially starting that as opposed to ending the regular season has been an alternative that's been discussed. There's been also another alternative discussed of a limited number of teams going in a Neutral site tournament as well. Uh, so, again, I think the league is looking for uh, the ability to take advantage of its rising and gaining in popularity and across the country. And I know here in Arizona, the Coyotes have done such a wonderful job of, of building back a fan base during difficult times. And they were on the precipice of a, of a, of a playoff year. Uh, so, I know there's a number of teams that are really anxious to see if there's some way that they can regain or continue the momentum they had been building here during the 2019-2020 season. But the NHL has been probably the most quiet, Lester, in terms of what their plans would be uh, in terms of a resumption or whether there'll be a cancellation, whether or not there'll be uh, some type of a modified playoff format or they'll delay the regular playoff format and maybe start that in June and go through August. Uh, Then, of course, we always have some ice issues perhaps as things warm up a little bit and some of the arenas around the country. So there's a number of issues still to be addressed when it comes to the NHL. Uh, the NBA, I think, in a lot of ways, we have to we have to thank Commissioner Silver because of his aggressive stance. He's probably saved a lot of people's lives and also restricted to a certain degree the spread of COVID, which again, it, we're seeing it spread a lot anyway, but his unique leadership to step forward and literally announce after only one positive test, the cancellation or the, certainly the postponement of the season, And that was the first domino, as I would say, that fell that led to other commissioners reacting. And then, of course, the NCAA. And as you remember, a number of conference tournaments were in the middle of play on the day that the NBA was canceled. So, uh, again, we've seen the NCAA follow suit in the other leagues. So, you know, Commissioner Silver really has to be commended for having the foresight as well as the leadership to, to step forward. And we also saw that in the Ivy League, ironically enough, where. But Robin Harris, the, the, essentially the commissioner of the Ivy League earlier in that week, had also followed suit. And not very popularly, she went ahead and canceled the Ivy League tournament early in the same week. So, again, we've had a couple very unique leaders who've stepped forward and thank goodness for their efforts, really set the tone for other leagues and other conferences to follow suit, which ended up, I believe, really protecting the players, the coaches, as well as the potential fans that would have been in attendance. Uh, and really limited the the potential spreading of it through those forums. Uh, but the NBA is interesting, Lester, because what the NBA has done, they've remained silent on this issue of payment. They've been paying the players. And again, right from what I understand, there is some discussions ongoing right now between the, the NBPA and the NBA trying to meet to reach some decision decision here about the last couple of checks and whether or not those checks will be essentially force majored for lack of a better term, or whether or not those checks will be essentially reduced by as much as a 25% number from what had been agreed to in the negotiated agreements between the teams and the players. Uh, I would expect and anticipate we're going to have some announcement by the NBA, I would think, either over the weekend or by, or by early next week with, with how they're going to be handling those remaining contractual payments uh, for those players. So, you know, you have three different examples. You got Major League Baseball, got in front of it. The NBA, with their commissioner, really proved his leadership. And now he's negotiating to see what's going to happen. Then you have the NHL with Gary Bettman and his announcement that the players will be paid. Uh, so it's interesting. What's great about all three leagues is uh, they've all announced, I know major league baseball has announced a million dollar per team commitment in an effort to try and keep what I'll call the per, the per game staff or the per event staff uh, being paid through this initial challenge of the COVID 19 virus. So not only are the, are the leagues being very mindful of trying to protect fans and limiting access uh, for potential risk of spread of COVID-19. They're also attempting to acknowledge the contributions of their workers and all the people who contribute to the success of these franchises on a per game basis. So uh, all all three leagues have really stepped forward.
0: It'll be particularly interesting given the history of the National Hockey League and the total loss of a season uh, several years ago to see how well Gary Bettman and Donald Fear can put things together. Uh, it sounds very hopeful at this point, but with the NHL, you just never know uh, when things are going to fall apart. Now, the NCAA has suffered the loss of the men's basketball tournament, its single largest revenue producer, one of the largest revenue producers in all of sports. What is going to happen there, Greg? the The amount of money going to the schools has been reduced from 600 million to approximately 225 million, the schools are going to have to figure out what to do here, aren't they?
1: You're, you couldn't be more correct, Lester. I mean, the, what's challenging here is that the, you know, the NCA has been and traditionally has been for a long period of time very reliant upon the revenue streams that's generated mostly through television contracts, but also through advertising and ticket sales for everyone knows their favorite tournament, which is the NCAA tournament. Uh, Unfortunately, with that cancellation, that revenue stream was essentially eliminated. Uh, You know, the NCAA fortunately has some insurance that protects them. But again, we all know what's going on with insurance payments right now. They're not gonna be coming forth very quickly. So what the NCAA has done is they've stepped forward to essentially protect as best they can the conferences and their member institutions by basically saying there'll be a distribution of not 600 million, which has been anticipated, like you said, Lester, but probably closer to 225 million. So if you think of this, you know, in NCAA basketball as a big domino and the NCAA being the biggest domino, once that domino has fallen now, the repercussions of that fallen domino are being reverberated around the country from the large conferences to the mid major conferences, all the way down. To the small individual schools as well. So what we're seeing is we're seeing a lot of conferences start to revisit some of the cost issues that they are incurring from a conference perspective. Uh, And the other thing that's obviously happening now, we're seeing a lot of schools start to look at their own budgets and try to make some decisions in terms of how can we in the best way do a lot of cost saving here when our budgets, not only from the NCAA perspective, but our budgets from advertisers and sponsors And again, the potential, God forbid, cancellation of the fall season as well. There's a lot of athletic directors as well as university presidents are doing a lot of juggling right now because, again, the primary focus of college is education. But the athletic aspect of it is a certain important part of that education for the student athletes. So, again, when we had an abrupt ending, a number of schools ended in the middle of spring break. So a lot of students have never come back to campus yet. A number of campuses are being used. Uh, to house first responders in the dorm rooms and things like that so we have a lot of issues not only with the spring sports which I want to touch on a little bit more in a moment but as we prepare for the fall sports are we going to allow and be able to have student athletes come back early like they typically do to begin to prepare for the fall sports are those entries into the college community going to be delayed and trying to tie it back with the start of the school year so a number of issues Uh, We have seen one school already step forward, and that was Iowa State, which I think deserves some credit, uh, where their coaches have agreed to uh, some drastic reductions in their salaries as well as the foregoing of bonus provisions in their coaching contracts. And it's been discussed that they've been saving as much as $5 million to their athletic budget with these efforts. So I think we're going to see a number of schools doing that. I think there's going to be some efforts made to perhaps reduce expenses on conference tournaments for the next year. So I think we're in a slightly new world. I think it's going to be interesting to see if there's a change in donors and people like that who've been supporting athletics and programs like that at schools around the country. Um, Again, this domino, as I said, the big domino fell, and now all the other dominoes are going to fall along with it. Um, So again, we're in in a tough spot. The schools are reacting, though, I guess, similarly to every other sports venue and trying to make these adjustments on a going-forward basis and dealing with these issues before they really hit them. Uh, But again, I know the major concern had been the spring sports, which has now been canceled. And recently in the last several days, the NSA stepped forward and awarded all the spring sport athletes an extra year of eligibility, which is wonderful, um, which allows especially the seniors who did not get a chance to participate to potentially come back for a fifth year and be able to play. And the underclassmen are gonna get an extra year of eligibility. One school of one program I'm, I'm actually hearing about right now that which might not honor that fifth year which I don't think it's been confirmed yet, is the Ivy League, which has uh, preliminarily announced that they will not be honoring and allowing people who graduate to come back to play for a fifth year at the Ivy League level. Only if they withdraw from school would they be able to come back and play. But other than that, the conferences I've heard have all honored this fifth year and they're trying to make some adjustments. And as we talked about, that gets back to a cost factor again, Lester, because now we're going to be having student-athletes coming back for an additional year of eligibility you incoming freshmen coming in, so you're going to have issues from a cost point of view and an allocation of scholarship dollars. The, the schools put forth more scholarship dollars, or as the NCAA has said, does each individual school, which now has the autonomy, do they now go back to certain players and say, look, you're welcome to come back for a fifth year, but I don't have any scholarship money for you, or I only have a limited number of amount of scholarship money for you. So these are some of the ramifications of some of these decisions we're going to be dealing with over the next several months. And then in addition to that,
0: we have uh, individual players who were looking forward to the tournaments uh, at the end of the basketball season. I think automatically of Sabrina Ionescu, the incredible star of the Oregon Ducks basketball team. She was looking forward to a chance to achieve an NCAA championship. She will be fine. That WNBA will take care of her and the european teams but still many of these players are suffering the loss of something they worked for for
1: 5 6 and 7 years it, it really is a, it really is a tragic result of the covid-19 virus and and again understandably so and i think most of the coaches in the in the major college basketball level were in agreement with this decision because those players had essentially played their entire season so At the same time, the NCAA granted the extra year of eligibility for the senior sport athletes. They denied the right of the winter sport athletes to have that extra year of eligibility, predominantly for the reason that they had almost completed their entire season for the 2019-2021 year. Uh, But it is, you are correct, there's a number of players, both male and female, uh, and we all know certain stars always step forward in the NCAA tournament, both on the men's side and the women's side. And not having a chance to showcase those their skills and to be able to do all those things that made them such stars is, is really tragic. And I don't want to exaggerate the use of the term tragic because we have a lot more tragic things going on relating to this virus. But as you said, you have athletes who've been literally preparing for this for an extended period of time. Uh, so it really is disappointing for them. But unfortunately, uh, they need to move forward and uh, get ready for the next step of their life, whether it's to continue to play at a professional level or whether it is to unfortunately I played their last game at Collegiate Athletics. Thank you, Greg, for these insights
0: and these observations on a most incredible, seemingly unthinkable series of developments in the sports industry. Uh, In our next edition of the Sports Lawyers Association podcast, we will take a look at the individual sports, the postponement of the Masters, the cancellation of Wimbledon, and we'll take a look at the changes made by the Kentucky Derby. But for now, thank you, Greg Clifton. I am Lester Munson. We are signing off with this edition of the Sports Lawyers Association podcast. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for tuning in today. Feel free to share your thoughts with us on Twitter at Sports Lawyers, or
1: find us on Facebook and LinkedIn. And be sure to be on the lookout for more podcasts.